Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. And when open the, the transfer window, see what we can do. You know, it's expectation in here. Reality is here is because we are missing some scene in the middle. Maybe we need to improve our reality. <laughs> yep, you heard that right. Chelsea manager Mauricio Pochettino may want to spend more money this January. So after almost a billion pounds in transfer fees already and FFP rules tightening, can there really be another spending spree? And how much progress has actually been made at Chelsea under Pochettino? Well, let's find out. I'm Ayo Akimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Joined by the Athletics Adam Crafton and our Chelsea writer Liam Toomey, also a regular on our Chelsea podcast, straight out of Cobham. I'm going to come to you in a second, Liam, because I know, I know the angle you're at right now. I listened to the podcast last night. Oof. But Adam, let's start with you. Chelsea say they need more players in the transfer window. I was going to ask if you're surprised, but like, is it madness considering like what's going on at Chelsea right now? Yeah, well, it's, it's Pochettino, isn't it, after Everton? And he came out and said he, ne- he kind of needs more players, which yeah. tells you he doesn't trust what he's currently got at his disposal to do what he wants to do. But also, I think, like, most of us watching them feel like they need more players or a higher quality of players, like certainly goalkeeper, striker. Chelsea fans keep telling me they've got 15 centre-halves, but <laughs> none of them are world-class at yeah. this at this stage. So they probably need a, a top-class centre-half. And they uh, need fullbacks because their best fullbacks can't stay fit. So that's like a starting point. So he's right when he says they need more players. But when you've spent over a billion pounds in three transfer windows, it's extraordinary. Like it's genuinely extraordinary that you can spend over a billion being the bottom half of the table, 12th. I think the stat is something like 35 of the last 45 Premier League games. I keep just going with this one after each game and adding to it because I can't believe it. Like for Chelsea not to win 35 of the last 45 Premier League games, barely won a home game this year in the calendar year. It cuts across three or four managers, obviously one ownership. It's really bad, like really, really bad. And we'll get into this, but like we don't know what the impact is yet of a second year outside the Champions League. That's the big question. Like you can keep talking about like we need to spend more money. Well, where is it going to come from? Because it's not going to come from revenue. Just picking up on, on, on Adam's point, I mean, they don't really have many world-class players, but that's almost an inevitable consequence of the transfer strategy because how many world-class 22-year-olds are there? Like how many 22-year-olds or players 23 or younger make the Ballon d'Or top 10 how can you buy players for 100 million pounds that aren't world class but also expect to make a profit on those players right like at that age that's two points right so like first question is you sign players that are worth what what, enzo fernandez over 100 million it's implausible to me that you can spend that money on players that we're sitting here and saying aren't world class enzo fernandez is not a 100 million pound player 
I mean, there's there's no world in which he is that. But that's the market that they've kind of created and normalized. And then the other point, if the idea is that you take some of these players young and then maybe you have them for three or four years, I suppose they either become legends at your club and stay for 10 years because you put them on really long contracts or you flip them, which may be what they're doing with some of those younger players they're taking from Brazil, give them a bit of action, then sell them on. But it can't be the plan with, like, you're not going to make a profit on Moises Caicedo. No, and I think, you know, we risk getting into the football finance weeds here, but I think their their strategy is probably not, we're thinking of selling Moises Caicedo for 200 million in five years' time. It's more more that on the books, he won't be worth, you know, his remaining value will mean that you won't need to sell him for as much as you bought him for in order to register a profit on the books, which is all they really care about. But, I think maybe less so with Caicedo and, and Enzo, who do look like very good players and maybe could be world-class in the next few years, if not right now. There are other players that they've bought. You know, we've discussed Madrid before on, on on the pod who have the potential to be sort of complete busts at this level. Um, it's too soon to tell, but that that is a big financial risk to take because you may not be able to sell them at all, never mind 60 million or whatever the upfront fee was. And then you have the flip side of these very, very long contracts. Whereas if it's going well, you look at that and think, we've got all the power. Whereas now it's like, we're stuck with this guy for the next six years. Who's going to buy it? Or if you've got players that have chronic injury issues on long-term contracts, which already seems to be the case with Wesley Fofana, Rhys James, every new injury he gets is a greater cause for concern. Both of those guys are tied down on big money for a long time. You know, And it's great... It, obviously the injuries aren't great for them but the the being on long-term contracts is great security for those guys but the benefit to Chelsea is not not the reality is like these are these are huge gambles to make on on players you're not really sure of players the world isn't even sure of yet you know like who is advising these people well they've Bowley and Clear Lake have come in you know with with this strategy of turning the squad into an investment portfolio that's what they've done. They've bought all of these young players and they are then, you know, they're not unrealistic enough to think all of these players will work out. They're playing in their minds quite a sort of cool headed uh, numbers game that more of these players will go up in value over time than down and you'll get team success to go along with that. The problem is there are maybe variables that they've underestimated that certainly one of them was they thought they could just rip, rip the club apart and rebuild it from scratch and stay in the top four, which, you know, was exposed hugely last season. I think they underestimated the strength of the Premier League. And it's proving the case this year. And, and you know, to pick up on what Adam said earlier, how long is the runway for this? Mm. For You know, you, you front-loaded this investment and all this young talent. These guys may need a bit of time to, if they're ever going to be what you think they can be, they may need a bit of time to to do that individually and to become a team that can do something serious in the league. And by then, has has the financial backing run out to the point where you have to make different financial decisions and start selling players you don't want to sell, selling some of the success stories in order to rectify some of the mistakes you've made? We saw the Tottenham game. <laughs> Chelsea, come on. We saw the City game. Oh, 4-4. Let's have it. Come on. And the reality is we're still back to where we started, Liam. Yeah, and I think maybe part of that is is a young team. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've had a couple of what felt like false dawns this season. 
And at times it's felt like they raise or lower their game to the standard of the opposition. Spurs, I think, sits alone as just the crazy farce of a game. But they've also really struggled, I think, as much with the pressure of being favourites against teams like Brentford and Nottingham Forest, who are very well drilled and know exactly what Chelsea's weaknesses are. But now they're losing games in different ways. Yeah. So at the start yeah. of the season, you could say it was just the teams that come to Stamford Bridge, sit back. That's not an unfamiliar problem for an evolving team, right? You're learning how to break them down. I think what's happened over the last two weeks is way more worrying. Right? The United like, game was the, the really United, The United game, the Newcastle game, and then the Everton game. Their games were actually, you've kind of just been bullied. Yeah. Bullied and outrun and outworked, really, and not competed which those games away from home, if you if you kind of, you have to kind of earn the right to play a little bit in those games and match what's being put into it. And Chelsea, Chelsea aren't doing that. And I think those are the games that Pochettino will be way more worried about, actually, I think, than Nottingham Forest. Because Nottingham Forest at home, you buy a striker that scores and you win that game. What's happened over the last couple of weeks, I think, is way more indicative of a collective well, issue. And I think you've seen that in the change in Pochettino's demeanour. Well, and also what he's said in interviews and press conferences, because I think after the, the Newcastle game, that was the first time he really publicly lit a fire under the players. He's he's protected them. He's been very patient, very emotionally measured. But he, he, he but, said we didn't compete. But where do you go after you've done that? Because yeah. it's not had a reaction. It's had a negative reaction. Well, I, I would say that I think they did compete against Everton um, I, they weren't physically bullied, I don't think, in that game. That wasn't how they lost it. It was That game was actually a little bit more similar to the, the home games they've lost this year and they got deitched, basically. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think they, they did show reasonable energy in that game. Um, but after that, for him to come out and then say, you know, we might need better players. He didn't necessarily say more players, but it was more ruthlessness in the final third, maybe a different profile. We need to look at January. And he wasn't breaking news inside Chelsea with those comments because as as far back in October, we wrote that Chelsea were looking at January as maybe the window to go and get a forward, not necessarily a striker, a forward who could operate across the front line. Another one. Another one. There is one that people were excited about was Nkunku, right? Yes. And are you worried by the length of this injury? I think it fits the time frame, yeah, that we were told when he picked up the injury at Dortmund. I mean, it was brutal timing because of the importance he had in the team in pre-season and the way Pochettino had to change things. Um, but I do think it, it, it makes what we've heard about Chelsea looking at forwards a bit strange because they can't possibly know what they do or don't have in Nkunku yet. You know, he, he might be a superstar in the Premier League. He might be someone who's genuinely transformative on the players around him. a player him. who's been injured for that long yeah. to get to speed with a new league. Exactly. Or he might be another Bundesliga signing that, that struggles to be as productive in England or anything in between. The point is we don't know. And it, I, I find it quite strange that, you know, you consider making a, a large, because it would be a large recruitment decision in January that would have implications for the other attackers you already have when you've just got this big and kunku question mark that you ha you can't answer yet. Well, I tell you, one striker Chelsea definitely can't call upon in January is, of course, Romelu Lukaku, who remains on loan in Serie A. Here's our Italian football writer, James Horncastle, to explain why a recall simply isn't an option. We have to go back to the dog days of August when Roma sent over a delegation of their general manager, Thiago Pinto, and Ryan Friedkin, the son of the owner, to do a deal with Chelsea 
for Romelu Lukaku on loan. It took a long time because how do they get to a stage where they can pay Romelu Lukaku's wages and be financial fair play compliant? Now, of all the terms of this agreement that they struck, one of the things that perhaps didn't get a lot of attention at the time was the fact that there is no recall clause, no facility for Chelsea to bring this player back from his loan early. You know, they cannot break it, for example, in the January transfer window once that opens again. And so Roma will be counting on him between now and the end of the season. Roma are currently fourth in the league despite drawing at the weekend to Fiorentina. Lukaku scored 19 goals in all competitions for club and country despite having no pre-season to speak of and looks closer to playing Champions League football again with Roma if they were to extend his loan agreement than he would if he was back at Chelsea right now because Chelsea struggling in front of goal, create chances, can't convert them. Sort of chances that Lukaku's converting for Roma. Yeah, I mean, the Lukaku one's dead, isn't it, <laughs> Liam? Yeah, uh, mutual antipathy, I think. You know, that if you're looking for the reason why a recall clause wasn't put in that loan, it was because none of the parties involved wanted one. Um, the, the bridges are very much burned. I don't, you know, as much as Chelsea are struggling to score against certain teams this season, there's been zero clamour from the fans to see Lukaku back. Uh, I don't think many of them are particularly interested or keeping track of how he's done at, at Roma this season. Um, and I think Chelsea's hope as a club is just that he scores enough goals between now and the summer that they can actually persuade someone to buy him and get his wages off the books permanently. Yeah, I was just thinking about this whole Chelsea situation and uh, the kind of pressure that's on someone like Poch's shoulders. People say, oh, is he going to be there? Is he not? I mean, it's a lot of this stuff is he, he's already inherited. He must have known this was the situation. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I don't think there's a huge amount that would have surprised mm. Pochettino from since he's taken over. I think he'll be worried about the lack of response he's getting from the players in terms of just attempting to sort of implement his style and how long that's taking. Given, you know, Chelsea haven't had European football, so they've had a lot of time on the training ground to work on the things he wants to work on. And we've seen bits of that in those games against Manchester City in particular. But equally, I look at that City and I'm like, that's probably the kind of team Chelsea want to play because they don't make compromises. So it appeals, I think, to, to, to this Chelsea team to play a game like that. And there's no expectation on that game. Whereas whenever there's expectation, I think Chelsea find it way harder. I think it's always worth with any of these conversations around Chelsea, like taking a step back and remembering what the owners inherited. And I think sometimes there is a temptation from us in the media, from Chelsea fans to think of the Abramovich era as this sort of linear successful path that it just wasn't. It was like functionally dysfunctional or dysfunctionally functional, right? Like it didn't make sense in any of the, the ways that we talk about modern football clubs around, you know, having best in class, chief executives, heads of recruitment. It was basically Abramovich and his pals, right? Who were running that Chelsea club and it, it worked, right? Like they won Chaos and trophies. Yeah. Chaos and trophies. But the trophies, you know, sure. glazed over what was yeah. actually happening in the background. But, but I think it was very much a kind of a culture of pay now, think later, whereas it's almost been pay now, think later. Well, now, think it's, buy ahead, now, now right? it's buy now, pay later. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think they had a lot to do when they came in. So, which is good in some ways, because I think from a commercial point of view, Chelsea have way more potential than they were actually 
unlocking under Abramovich in terms of sponsorship and revenues and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and they've hired a lot of people since they've gone in. I don't mean, I don't mean players here. I mean... <laughs> Had to cram them into yeah. the changing room. Yeah, all, all, <laughs> yeah. all on the spare pitch at, at Cobham. But no, I mean, you've got like a new CEO, you've got a new COO, you've got a new C uh, CFO, new uh, revenue officer, new communications officer. So they have been rebuilding a club in a lot of different ways and trying to reassess the culture across the whole club you know, two new sporting directors, several new head coaches, right? So all of this stuff's been going on in the background that makes a lot of sense in terms of the way that we think about how football clubs should be structured and built. But at the same time, it's not cutting through into success. So therefore, the, the obvious temptation is just think, oh, we miss the, the rich dude that sort of just made us win trophies. But I also think it's like, you know, when you've got a startup, right? You hire all these people, not all of them are going to be good. That's where the other big problem is, I think, for a lot of Chelsea fans at the moment, is that you have to trust the people that are making all those hires and the decisions, that they are going to get more of those decisions right than wrong. Um, and we've already seen some of those hires depart after a less, less than a year. And I just think generally when you when you add what's been happening on the pitch to the, the, the sense of flux that there still is just around the club, I think a lot of fans still have questions about Todd Bowley, Bedadeg Bali, just their, their know-how when it comes to football and the football business. We know Bowley's had success in baseball. They're continuing to make waves in Big baseball. Big money with in the baseball Dodgers. at the moment, yeah. Um, this is Bedadeg Bali's first involvement with the football club, as far as I know. Uh, and it's hard to just believe that these guys are going to get right, get it right. I think, especially when the the pain of the early stages of this rebuild has been so acute for for Chelsea fans. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Hello, listeners. This is Matt Davis-Adams, host of Straight Out of Cobham, your dedicated Chelsea podcast from The Athletic. Myself and the motley crew of Liam Toomey, Simon Johnson, Dom Fifield, and Luke Bosher are with you twice a week, every week this season, as we bring you all the news and views you could ever possibly want from in and around the club. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's just believe that January potentially might be a, a little way out, Liam. 150 million for us, man. It'll all be fine. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. What are the realistic names? I know you did mention a forward. I mean, would Osimhen come to this? Well, that's the other big thing, isn't it? Every window 
you get to where you're mid-table, I think it becomes progressively harder to to pitch some of the most coveted players in Europe that that you're joining this grand project that's destined to scale the heights of of football. And you're panicking and you're overcorrecting. Right? Yeah. You're trying to correct the last mistake you made. We've seen this with Manchester United for a decade. You chase the last mistake by thinking, you know, you need to sign these two players to make this one player work. You know, sort of Pogba. How many times did Man United buy a player to try and unlock Paul Pogba at Manchester United? And it just didn't happen. And that's the danger for Chelsea, that they start thinking, if we get this guy to play with Mudrick, maybe that'll work out. Or this guy to play with... Um, Nicholas Jackson, maybe that'll work out, you know, whichever example it is. I think they thought that with Enzo, right? I'm not saying they thought Enzo was a mistake or anything like that, but definitely they thought if we pair Enzo and Caicedo, that'll be unstoppable. And now you're looking at like, you probably need a third midfielder. Well, it's also the the fundamental folly, I think, of, of, of transfers is that you look at the player and you completely ignore the team context in which they succeeded at their previous club. So Chelsea have done that. Meant they did that under Abramovich many times as well. Where they they just fall in love with a player and pay whatever it took to get him, and then put him in a completely different situation, often a different position at Chelsea, and expect the same production. And it just doesn't work like that. Smart clubs know how to buy players and put them in the the best positions to succeed and there's also just so many unknown variables when when you get a player you look at the exceptional attackers in the Premier League right now with the exception of Haaland none of them were regarded as exceptional when they arrived at their clubs like when Son came from Hamburg no one knew he was going to be I think one of the greatest signings of the Premier League era he's a phenomenal player Salah from Roma the same you talk to anyone around that time no one knew Salah was going to be this and um, Saka was not the highest regarded youngster in Arsenal's academy at the time so you don't always know there is actually a chance that Chelsea have one of these players on their books already but because they're all so young and they're not necessarily in the right position to succeed there's no way of knowing yet and they may never be if you don't get the conditions right on an FFP level can they do silly business one thing I would expect is that any significant spending in January will be offset by sales. I think there are players that we're looking at in this squad right now. Ian Matson, uh, Trevor Chalobah, Conor Gallagher's future remains very much up in the air. Well, because until his contract is resolved one way or the other, you know, he's been heavily, heavily linked with moves in the last two windows. So he, he'll be in the final 18 months of his deal in January. How do Chelsea fans feel about the possibility of losing another... Academy graduate. Academy graduate, do they care? Yeah. I think it depends who it is, you know, given how little Chalaba Matson have featured, I think there'll be some kicking up about that, but it'll probably be on the margins. If it's Gallagher, who's been one of Chelsea's one or two best players this season, albeit it's been a fairly low bar to clear, I think there will be a big kind of backlash against that because he's he's also one of the players who's shown the most consistent energy on the pitch he's looked like he's sort of growing into being a, a captain mm. and I mean this is quite a novel thing at Chelsea he's fit all the time he's always available unless he picks up two yellow cards and gets himself suspended for a game he actually is available to play through fitness he plays at Chelsea <laughs> it's amazing so I think um, he would actually be a, a big loss I mean maybe they're thinking if Lavia comes back you know he would mitigate that but 53 million pound signing mm. hasn't played a minute 
we talk about strikers, the midfield, big issues here. Also defensively, big issues here. I mean, where do we even start with Reese James, club captain? Barely fit. Mm. It's just a really sad football story, I think, um, because he is Chelsea's best player when he's fit and right, and he's one of the best right backs in the world. Um, but when he's fit and right is becoming an increasingly uh, hopeful disclaimer uh, on his career we're talking about close to two years now of him being really a, a theoretical superstar and that's a problem for a guy that you've made your captain and your symbol um, and the person that you're you're putting a lot of hopes on and, and also when you think of the players that Chelsea actually had come through as fullbacks over yeah. the last few years and have let go so it was like watching Tino Livermento yeah. play really well for Newcastle at the moment and thinking he should be playing for Chelsea right like I understand the sort of the chain of circumstances that mean he doesn't play for Chelsea because at that time, they didn't, you know, they felt like James was going to be the guy. And as Pilaqueta was still their club captain, yeah. But 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 I think that is a failure of Chelsea for Chelsea to have a player that good come through your academy and not be playing for Chelsea. Tariq Lamptey has also had sort of injury issues as well, but he's another player that should have been part of Chelsea's squad really at the time where they let him go. And that he should have been given a chance there. And I think it's, you, you sort of see this a bit with Man City and a bit with Chelsea, where you've had these kind of huge investments over a long time into the academy. And you have some really, really talented players coming through. But they just, the vast majority just don't really end up getting a fair shake at it. Yeah, I mean, and that's, those two players in particular, you know, those were situations that came to a head in the Abramovich era that I'm sure the new owners mm. would say these are, things we inherited, but they've potentially sown the seeds for more of those situations to play out in the next few years because it was bad enough b before in the Abramovich era where you had seasoned internationals and, and older players in front of you in the in the queue. But now players in at Cobham who are coming through will see guys under the age of 23 who've been signed for massive fees ahead of them thinking, well, they're going to be there for mm. you know seven, eight years maybe if they do well. So where's the pathway for me? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Pochettino has signed a two-year contract at Stamford Bridge with an option to extend for a further year. Have the board suddenly gone, we appointed Potter on a long-term contract. It's cost us so much to get him out of that contract when it hasn't worked. If you look at the fit, it looks right in terms of the type of squad they've got, the profile of those players, young players, 
perhaps looking for a bit more direction from somebody like Maurizio Pochettino. He's a really good man manager. I think he's an outstanding coach. The way that Pochettino plays football, I actually think it's a really good appointment for Chelsea. Right, let's, let's move on to Poch. I'm fascinated by this one because obviously we saw what he did at Spurs. Then he went to PSG. And you'd think as a team, you know, a project like Chelsea would be the real testing ground. I, I always don't want to write PSG as anyone's script, really, because you know what goes on there. But in terms of what this team can do, Chelsea should feel like the perfect project for them, Adam. For Poch? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in theory, right, you look at the job he did at Spurs, you take sort of a group of young players, you build together. Uh, what I would say is it didn't, it didn't happen quickly at Spurs. Yeah. You know, it did take half a season for him to have a bit of a turning point and start clicking. Um, Southampton, it happened a lot quicker for him. That was also another group of young players. But I think he did have, in both those teams, more experienced players alongside those younger players. Whereas at Chelsea at the moment, okay, he's got Thiago Silva, but Thiago Silva's on his last legs, really. So you've got him and Sterling. That's probably it, really, in terms of those sort of experienced players. I think Sterling's had a really good season. Yes, It's a weird situation in that, yes, on paper, Chelsea have this massive squad, but they've basically had 10 players out injured at all times since January, which is just a crazy situation. And it means that Pochettino has lent on 12, 13 players for the last two months um, and Sterling and if you look at the minutes totals I think Sterling and, and Silva would probably both be top two or top three or four of the outfielders I, I think that makes it worse for him because actually I almost feel like if you looked at Chelsea last season you thought like the problem that Lampard had was like oh my god I've got so many players I have to shuffle in shuffle out whereas actually Pochettino has had a reasonably fixed group of players you know, to build relationships and build partnerships and build a style of play, a lot of time on the training ground. And it's not really come out on the field. It's not like they've been losing, you know, most of the players who have been playing have been fit most of the season, right? I think what you've seen in a lot of games is that there has been a pattern of play between the two boxes in terms of, it it has been much more identifiable the way Pochettino is trying to play than the than, for example, what we saw with Graham Potter last year, where he he seemed to lose faith in his own idea quite quickly, and then it was changing from week to week. Um, but the problem is they've been a lot of the time really wasteful in the attacking box, and then they will always make at least one mistake in ninety minutes that will give the other team a really good chance to win the game. But that's why it's easy to say now, but I felt at the time when when everyone was saying for the first few weeks of the season, oh, but you know. What, it was, like, it was like Turkey before the Euros last a couple of years ago. It was like, watch out for Chelsea with their XG because, you know, <laughs> once once they start clicking. And it was like, no, they don't have good enough players in both boxes. So that's not, it's not, an, it, it is an XG issue, but it's not an XG issue because actually if you just don't have the quality in both boxes, you're not going to fix that. It's the issue with the X, it's the expectations. Right. Yeah. 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 So like you can talk about the XG, but like, I don't know, my expectation of what Nicholas Jackson's going to do is what he's doing. To be honest, like have a few good games, a few bad games, be a bit in and out because that's his, kind of his track record. Well, and he's been uh, a striker at senior professional level for less exactly. than a year. Yeah. Exactly. At what point then? I think Chelsea love a long-term project. No, no, they, no, they, they, they love, didn't no, used to. No, <laughs> they love saying that they love a long-term project. Even with these owners, I mean, we don't. We, I mean, they say they've got a long-term project, but they said that when Graham Potter was there. This is also true. So they have to prove it actually that that they believe. Everyone can say we've got a plan, but then. 
you know, the plan changes. For me, it's like, when is he under pressure? Because for so long, Graham Potter wasn't under pressure. They're very quickly. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, I mean, Potter was was safe until he wasn't. That was the messaging, and you know that's where we are with Pochettino. He, you know, the the guidance is unchanged. He's the guy that they're they're leaning on to lead this. And I mean, he's not on a long term contract in the way that Potter was. He he will have one guaranteed year left to run this summer. So there will be an evaluation, I'm sure. And the un the thing that we just don't know. So is, so the contract he signed was two plus one. I believe so. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, Maybe he put that in because he probably looked at it. And well, thought, I mean, it doesn't scream long-term project. Yeah, it doesn't. No, exactly. Cu counteracting the idea of a long-term project. But that's I think that's part. That was probably partly a reaction to mm. them getting burned so much by giving Potter and his backroom staff such mm. long-term deals, and then having to. Well, I don't think they paid all of it up, but they're on the hook for a lot of money. But what it does mean, I mean, I think Chelsea will, as a club, probably just accept this season they're not finishing in the Champions League. I think they're going to have to accept that because we're 14 points behind fourth. Fifth place may become a possibility. The highest they've been is 10th this season, isn't it? You have not yeah. been above 10th. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I still think they will They will end up seventh, certainly seventh or highest. I think there will be at some point they'll get their act together maybe. There, ha there has been a history of Pochettino teams being stronger in the second half yeah, of seasons uh, yeah, than the first. Uh, and the, you know they're probably not going to be... You know, they're not, obviously not going to be in Europe second half of the season. They should get players back. So they should have a, a bit of a push. But I think Chelsea will probably accept one, one more year outside of the European mm. stage. But the problem Poch will then have is if that contract is two plus one, it means if he's two months into next season and they've not started well, well, his contract's up in the summer anyway. Yeah. Right? So actually he starts next season. On the hot seat. Essentially. On the hot seat, you know, under a huge amount of pressure. Yeah. No, I think I think that's that's pretty much where we are. I I don't know for a fact what Chelsea's reaction will be if they don't qualify for the Champions League this year, which as you know, you only have to look at the table to know what pipe dream it looks right now. All right, let's quickly round this up. I mean, it's like how do you solve the world's problems? How does Chelsea move on from this, Liam? I mean, what 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 needs to happen over the next few months, well up until May anyway, for for them to even stand a chance of having an okay enough season whereby we see them finishing seventh, as Adam would say. I think they need the injury situation to ease with regard to certain players. I think they need to see what they have with Nkunku. And in order for them to be anything in the Premier League, they probably need him to be good quite quickly. Who are the injured players? That, that, that I mean, James, Chilwell. Lavia and Nkunku are probably the two that will come back soonest. Um, and... We, again, we don't really know what to expect from Lavia, but maybe he's a player that can come in and make an impact as well. If he comes into the team, who's who's dropping out? It could be Gallagher. It could be rotation for Enzo Fernandez, who's played every single game of football for two years, I think, <laughs> since leaving South America. One game a week. No, but not last year. <laughs> not last year. I, no. Last year, he played every yeah. game, even though Chelsea had nothing to play for. They probably yeah. should have shut him down along with Rhys James. Um, because he looks like he's running through treacle at the moment, uh, Fernandez. Mm. I think they need the injury situation to ease, but they also need Pochettino, Pochettino's methods to start taking a bit more hold. I don't think they necessarily need big transfers. I think they actually need a little bit of stability now. Um, I think, honestly, significant transfer activity could set them back again. If they decide to chop and change this squad too much in January, we could end up in a situation... Similar to last season where you have just a, a squad that's in a bit of a mess. What, so the one thing we've not talked about, what's the 
sort of the atmosphere amongst match going fans because I think that's the one thing that has the ability to shift when owners see that they panic that's what shifted the uh, landscape for Potter last season in a big way and I've actually been surprised at how little hostility there's been to Pochettino given his Spurs past I thought if he had a slow start that would immediately become a stick to, to beat him with but I think things got so bad last season <laughs> that fans were willing to see the green shoots no matter how sparse they might have been in performances and go with it that is you know running low I think especially over the last four games because the last three defeats have been really alarming it's more towards the ownership though there is a lot of hostility from the match going fans in particular towards the ownership, not just because of what's happening on the pitch, but because of stuff we talked about before, decisions they've made um, with the match day experience. There's a widespread expectation that season ticket prices will go up for the first time in more than a decade early next year. And that could be a tipping point as like well. Beyond sort of the price of inflation, not sound too forgiving, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I mean, they were frozen for, basically the last 10 years of the Abramovich era from the 2012 season onwards. Um, so it, you can you can make an argument that it's a financial reality to raise season ticket prices at Chelsea and long overdue. But if you raise them when you're 12 yeah, yeah. in the league, yeah. uh, you're going to expect some blowback. Well, also just finish on this one, you know, there's a big meeting with the Premier League shareholders today that threatens, you know, to further undermine this sort of transfer activity uh, that Chelsea, well, their strategy, I should say, is supposed to activity uh, that Chelsea have sort of shown under the, the Bowley Clear Lake uh, capital owners. Could it be completely scrapped, this long-term contract? Well, I don't, I don't think they're talking about banning long-term contracts I think they're talking about capping the amortization for the financial calculations at five years which is what UEFA have already done so Chelsea essentially got one one window where they uh, were able to really in their minds exploit this loophole um, and this is when they were doing all this sort of seven year eight year seven contracts. year eight year deals and the yeah. idea is you can spread the payments over the course of those eight years yeah so it's a lower annual cost even though it's a higher transfer fee so that Chelsea went for that in a big way in January and that was the the window that they had when before UEFA had legislated against it which they now have um, so I think Chelsea internally were probably expecting that the Premier League would at least discuss doing similar um, even though I, I you know I've been told consistently they Chelsea still believe in in long-term contracts as a as a thing I see no one else has copied it yet no no I think uh, there hasn't been much incentive to copy it so far <laughs> All right, let's end it there. Thanks, Liam and Adam. Remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. And also, a one-year subscription is still at the special discounted price of just $19.99. That's dollars and pounds. Simply head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We're back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.